When God speaks to you, how does he do it? Some might say that God speaks to us through his spirit or through his word. Sometimes through other believers, God speaks to us. Uh, I had one man one time sort of tongue-in-cheek, half-jokingly tell me that God spoke to him through his wife. (laughs) That could be taken in a couple of different ways, I suppose. But uh, not many of us would say that God speaks to us through a burning bush in the wilderness. And yet, that's exactly how God spoke to Moses in that familiar story in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 3. And we would in fact consider that to have been one of the times in the scriptures when God spoke most clearly, most unmistakably. After all, who would fail to recognize the voice of God if it came from the midst of a flaming bush that wasn't consumed by the flames? A guy named John Wilde of Portland, Oregon was working his way through college in a printing business when a friend of his named Jill Ann came in to order some wedding invitations. And that surprised John because Jill Ann had always said that God would have to speak to her through a burning bush if she was ever going to get married. So John asked her what had finally caused her to accept her boyfriend Alan's proposal. She explained that one day as she was leaving her dorm room, she saw an old dead shrub that was burning and she heard Alan's voice from behind the wall somewhere saying in a deep voice, Jill Ann, Jill Ann, you need to marry Alan. And uh, because of that, it wasn't the voice of God, but apparently it was charming enough to persuade Jill Ann to accept Alan's proposal. Well, in Moses' case, it was God's voice calling to him, calling Moses into God's service. But in spite of the clarity of it, in spite of the authority of it, Moses was reluctant and resistant. Let's take a look at that story in Exodus chapter 3 this morning and talk a little bit about when God calls to us by looking at how God called to Moses and Moses' response. If you're able, I invite you to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word as we look together at Moses at Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. <clears throat> The Bible says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. 
and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Thank you. Please be seated. <clears throat> now this is a familiar account of God calling Moses into his service to do something that would ultimately turn the name of Moses into the one of the most well-known and widely respected names on the planet Earth for the remainder of human history. I mean, this was Moses' big moment. This is the record of God inviting Moses to step up to the plate to do something that would land him in the Hall of Fame of eternity. This passage tells us how things happened when God, the God of the universe himself, came down and used miraculous means to invite Moses onto holy ground for an assignment so special that he would gain a level of honor unrivaled by any other religious leader in the Judeo-Christian tradition except for the Son of God himself. And Moses immediately surrendered himself to God's call in humble gratitude. He was willing to do and, and accept this momentous responsibility and jumped right to it. Right? Not quite. In fact, quite the opposite, it turns out. The, God had said in verse 10, Now Moses, go, I'm sending you to my people, the Israelites. Bring them out of bondage in Egypt. And the first word of the next verse, verse 11, is but... But Moses said to God, who am I? You know, the last thing that ought to follow a command like this from God is the word but. And yet that's exactly the record of this text. Moses protests, he questions, he waffles, he objects, he resists. How often is that our response when we hear God calling to us? As he does. Do we respond the way Moses did? Well, God, you sure you got the right guy? Well, God, what about this? God, I'm not really old enough to do that yet. Or God, I'm too old to do that now. Or God, I need to take care of something over here first. Moses' response is not all that unlike our own in many cases when God calls. But through all of Moses' protests, God's very patient. But eventually, God's patience wears out, and Moses ultimately wound up doing what God had asked him to do from the beginning. 
in spite of all of this rigmarole, all of this beating around the bush, if you will, perhaps that's where this expression came from, Moses finally did it. Now, how much easier would it have been if Moses had just surrendered right off the bat and said, okay, Lord, I'm your guy. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to go. Well, maybe Moses was reluctant because he knew just how hot the glare of the spotlight could be. He'd grown up in a privileged household, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He'd seen firsthand how heavy the weight of the responsibility of leadership can be. It isn't easy being a leader even with God's help. Somebody said the trouble with being a leader today is that you can't be sure whether people are following you or chasing you because oftentimes it's hard to tell the difference. Moses was no fool. He knew what God was calling him to do and that it wouldn't be easy. Maybe he thought his life was just fine as it was. Or maybe he was afraid for his life because, after all, back in Egypt, he was a wanted man. He had committed murder in Egypt, and maybe he wasn't too eager to go back there and face the consequences of that. Now, whatever the reason, Moses resisted God's call on his life. Moses asked, who am I? That's a good question. You're nobody, Moses. You're nothing but a shepherd on the backside of nowhere, tending to a bunch of sheep that don't even belong to you. In fact, they belong to your father-in-law. You only have the job you have because you're married to the boss's daughter, Moses. You're nothing but a murderer on the run from your enemies in Egypt. Who are you, Moses, that the almighty God of the universe would descend to the backside of nowhere to call you into his service. And yet that's exactly what God did. In fact, it's God's specialty to call unknown people on the backside of nowhere to do magnificent, amazing, incredible things. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians something very similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me read it for you. Paul said, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Moses, you are a nobody. You're not worthy of God's call, but no one is. That's the thing. No one is worthy of God's call. Not Moses, not me, not you, and yet God is calling anyway. To Moses, to me, to you. God's response to Moses' protest is pretty simple. He says, Moses, I'll be with you. In verse 12, I'll be with you, Moses. And for King David, later in Israel's history, that was enough. We all know those famous words of David when he said, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
for you are with me. And that ought to be enough, shouldn't it? It ought to be enough that God is with us. God doesn't call and then abandon us. God doesn't give us a ministry and then refuse to help us do it. When Jesus commissioned us all at the end of Matthew and his gospel, Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. For any of us, that ought to be enough. But Moses is not satisfied. He still protests. In chapter 3, verse 13, uh, he says, well, what if they ask me who has sent me? What am I going to tell them? You see, Moses is afraid he's not going to have all the answers to the questions that he'll be asked. And what he's really afraid of is embarrassing himself. So he asks God for his name. Now, maybe Moses thinks he's asked God a question that can't be answered. That God will let him off the hook because Moses has been so clever to ask God this this deep question. But God had an answer for Moses. And to put it very simply, God tells Moses that his name is the verb to be. Because God is. And because God is, everything else is secondary. Nothing else is except by virtue of the fact that God is. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made, Scripture says. In chapter 4, verse 1, Moses continues to protest with another what-if question. God God answered his, his name question. So Moses asked, well, what if they don't believe me? What if I go there and they don't believe me? He's still afraid of being embarrassed. But God has an answer for that one too. Moses' call is going to be confirmed by a manifestation of God's power. God isn't going to leave Moses hanging out to dry. He's going to give Moses some proof, some evidence that God has actually called him. But even if he didn't, even if there were no evidence or proof, the call still stands. God gave Moses some reassurance, but even if the people didn't believe him or didn't listen to him, that shouldn't be his concern. Faithfulness is all God is expecting. That Moses be faithful. Jeremiah the prophet had a tougher go than Moses in many ways, as you'll recall. Jeremiah had to deliver difficult messages in all of his prophesying. He never won a single convert. He was rejected by his people. He was hated. He was beaten. He was put in stocks. He was imprisoned and charged with being a traitor. But Jeremiah could not escape God's call on his life. He tried. He said, when I try not to speak for God, his words are like a fire in my bones. I have to speak. He couldn't escape God's call. He didn't have success that we might expect, but he was faithful. Moses is going to be in the hall of fame of God, not because he won a lot of converts or had a lot of success, but because he was faithful. 
And Moses needed to know that and learn that. His only responsibility was to be faithful to the call, let God take care of the rest. Win or lose, grow or die, leave it to God. And if it includes some embarrassment, well, so be it. But Moses didn't see it that way, not yet anyway. In verse 10 of chapter 4, he protests that he isn't eloquent enough for the task that God is asking him to do. He says, God, that's not my gift. I'm not a good speaker. That's not my gift. You ever hear yourself saying something like that? Maybe it's not about speaking, but something else. That's not my gift. Uh, I'll do something I'm comfortable with, but don't ask me to step outside of my comfort zone. I'm not a good speaker, God, Moses said. About 30 years ago in the rural area where I was pastoring, a seminary church, a group of the churches got together and had an, uh, an evangelistic rally, and they invited the evangelist David Ring to come and speak. Now, if you've heard of David Ring, you know that he was born with cerebral palsy, and it, it, he has a, a significant speech impediment because of it. And yet, he has preached to, the, to untold thousands of people and led multitudes of people to faith in Christ. All in spite of this speech challenge that he has. And when he challenges believers to share the gospel with others, he says, look, I have cerebral palsy. What's your problem? If I can do it, Surely you can do it. Moses protested that he couldn't speak well, but God didn't let Moses off. If we look at chapter 11, or excuse me, verse 11 in chapter 4, the Lord said to Moses, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. God says. Well, finally, in verse 13, Moses does quit beating around the bush, and he just flat out says, Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Now we've gotten to the heart of the matter. Now we've gotten to the nitty-gritty. Moses just didn't want to do it. He heard God's call. He understood God's call. He just didn't want to heed God's call. And that's when God lost his patience with Moses. That's when God got angry. It says the, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Any problem or concern Moses might have had about fulfilling his call, God would have helped him with. God would overcome. The only thing that gets God's goat is basic disobedience. If God calls you to do something and you don't know how, you don't feel worthy, you don't understand, don't worry. God will help you. God will give you what you need if you'll just do what He asks, if you'll just be faithful. But if God calls you to do something and you just flat refuse, well, don't be surprised if God gets a little peeved at you. God got peeved at Moses and ran out of patience. He said, look, Moses, enough with the excuses. Aaron can speak for you. Now quit stalling and get on with it. And finally, Moses recognized just how serious God was. 
And he gave in and he did. In verse 18 of chapter 4, he goes to Jethro. He says, uh, let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. God has given me this task and I've got to do it. Now, you've probably never seen any burning bushes, as I mentioned earlier. But you've heard God's call on your life in some way. When God calls us to faith, to trust in Christ, He calls us to ministry, at least in an in a ordinary sense, as an every member a minister kind of way. We are all called to service in that respect. But have you ever heard a call to enter vocational ministry? To surrender your life to God's service in a way that the average believer doesn't. They used to say there's no higher calling than that, and they're right. In a benevolence agency where I used to volunteer on occasion back in Texas, they had a sign on the wall that said, if God calls you to be a missionary, don't stoop to be a king. It's a high calling. But either God is calling fewer people into ministry these days or else fewer are listening and obeying when He calls. I couldn't find any more recent statistics, so what I'm about to tell you is 20 years old, and it hasn't gotten better. But 20 years ago, only one person was entering ministry for every three who retired from ministry. You can see what the ultimate outcome of that's going to be. And only one out of every three seminary students said that they intended to serve in local church ministries. They don't want to serve in local churches. They know how hard that is. I didn't want to when I was coming up. I saw the, the grief that my home church gave the pastor at that time, and I thought, I don't need that. I'll serve you, Lord, but don't call me to do that. And, of course, God laughed, and here I am. <laughs> According to the Barna Research Group, the median age of U.S. Protestant pastors jumped up from 44 to 54 between 1992 and 2017, 25 years. It rose 10 years. Now, that doesn't sound so bad when I realize that over that same 25 years, I got 25 years older. <laughs> But it says something, doesn't it? And of those pastors, the percentage of pastors under 40 over that 25 years dropped from 33% to 15%. Only 15% of pastors are under 40 years of age. Why is it that so few people are heeding the call of God? Like Moses, they know it's not going to be easy. They know it's going to be difficult, and it is difficult. It's harder, I think, today in our environment than it ever has been. Pastors aren't respected the way they once were. Oftentimes, that's the fault of some bad apples who are in the pastorate, unfortunately. There are unrealistic expectations put on them that Superman couldn't do, even Jesus couldn't do. Curtis Freeman, the head of the Baptist House of Studies at Duke University, says... So why would you want a job that can't support a family, won't get respect, 
makes unrealistic demands and goes against the basic beliefs of secular society. He says, I can't think of a good reason unless the almighty master of the universe calls you by name and leads you there. But if the almighty master of the universe calls you by name and leads you to come into his service professionally, vocationally, full time, how can you say no? How can you refuse? I couldn't. Moses couldn't. He tried, but he couldn't do it. Some of you in here may think you're far past a decision like that. Pastor, I'm too old to change my life in a way like that. You realize how old Moses was in this text? He was 80-ish. And yet God called him to do a magnificent, magnanimous, huge thing. D.L. Moody quoted as saying, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was nobody. And he spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. God does his best work through nobodies. Nobody's just like us. If God has called you, it's better to suffer in his service than to be pampered like a king and be guilty of saying no. Moses finally figured that out, and he followed God's call. What about you? God may not be calling you into vocational ministry, but God is calling you to faith. And God is calling you to serve in some capacity, even as a volunteer in his enterprise, in his kingdom. The question is, how are you going to respond? Don't be as reluctant as Moses was. Pray with me, would you? Father God, help us to hear your voice. We know that you're always speaking, but we aren't always listening. I pray, God, that we might pause long enough in this hectic, busy life we live and listen for your still, small voice calling to us. Who knows, Lord, there may be someone in this room this morning that you intend to use in world-changing ways. I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear your voice and to respond, even though we're nobodies, even though we're intimidated, even though we can't believe that you would do something like that with us. God, I, I pray that you would give us the courage to move outside of our comfort zones, to exercise our faith, and to serve you without reserve, faithful to your call, whatever it may bring. All for your glory, we pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you folks as you continue to worship.